0: ladies and gentlemen to another episode of the third person podcast my name is chris millhouse joined as always with my co-host mr daryl hammond how are you daryl
1: my man my man
0: looking sharp at the sunglasses today uh we also have our producer jim search with us today hello there gentlemen what is happening Well, we had a nice little hiatus, guys. We took about a month off or so from uh, our last podcast with Howie Mandel. Thanks to everybody who listened to that. Gave us some good feedback, good comments on that. Uh, Real quick, if you're listening and you haven't done this already, please go ahead and uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. I'm sure you have. Uh, Make sure you add us on social media. I am at Chris Milhouse. Daryl is at Daryl C. Hammond. And Jim is at Jim Search. Add us on there and uh, follow along with us, man. We're uh, we'll post about the new podcast. We post about our shows. Um, Daryl Hammond's got a bunch of shows. He's back and about doing some stand up again, which is cool. I, th-
1: I thought we were turned down rather unceremoniously by a couple people as well.
0: Yeah, with the podcast, mm-hmm. as far as guests, yeah. Yeah, this you know, it's hard, man. It's hard with uh, some of these people have real busy schedules and they're working a lot. And uh, it's, it's a tough thing to get some of these uh, guests, you know? So, but we, you know, we, we've had some pretty good ones, man. We've, we've done really well for ourselves so far and we've got some good ones coming up, you know? Well, can't
1: disagree with that as my chainsaw in the backyard friend will attest to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as as leather as leatherface agrees yeah as daryl gets murdered all of a sudden live on camera sorry yeah. i i came out here i just rented.
1: no don't can't tell anyone that
0: yeah i thought it was
1: going to be really nice out here and here comes leatherface jesus christ is there a time that you can walk outside in los angeles and there's not that's not happening
0: no, there's not. And it's a funny thing is that even during the pandemic, when everyone things shut down, the one thing in LA that still didn't shut down was the landscaping. They were just out there still 7 a.m., 8 a.m., just going to town. And it's, it's, it's a little disturbing. But, uh, hey, man, like, here's the thing that people don't know. You and I switched places. You are in LA for the moment, and I came back to New York. So it's, okay. it's kind of strange how we, we, uh, we just kind of swapped there.
1: What a dinky, right, Jim?
0: And absolutely it's like trading places except absolutely you know, i guess I'm, yeah. I'm not i'm not randolph or mortimer in this case mm-hmm. and i'm not yeah. uh, i'm not going to be announcing espinel anytime soon So, no. don't <laughs> <laughs> not trading those type of places but you know it's nice Man. to be back in new york i've been gone since christmas well it's funny. Um, you, you left when feel? the weather you left when the weather is getting nice here you know it's it's this is the time everyone's coming back and um i don't know it feels good to be back man i did my first indoor show last night in over a year and it was wild it was weird to kind of get your bearings and like oh Mm -hmm. i'm telling jokes in like a dingy new york comedy club again inside of it it was weird it was great i I loved it i loved all of it crowd was awesome shout out to new york comedy club that's where i was
1: last night -hmm. Uh, i've done two outdoor shows here one in an amphitheater behind a church and then a parking lot behind an auto supply store. (laughs) Um, You know, there were seats and there were, there was a stage and there was a microphone and there was a lot of people.
0: Yeah, man. I saw a lot of people were tagging you on social media, uh, saying that you killed, that you had a a killer set. And that was, uh, it was cool to see. Cool to see you back out in LA crushing.
1: Well, fuck! I've got some, something to do with myself. I mean, it was a long, you know, you guys, Jim, you know this, that's whole fucked up winter and sitting in snow banks and fucked up and in the dark and by yourself. It's kind of shitty. And now I'm out of here. I <clears throat> know a lot of people. It good um, to be out
0: there, right? It feels good to be having a change of scenery, doesn't it?
1: It feels good to be around people.
0: Yeah. Nice around weather. Around human beings. You know? and, and, All right, folks. Yeah. We got uh, Lorraine coming in. Well, real quick, uh, for those who don't know, our guest today is uh, the one of the, the original SNL cast members, one of the OGs, if you will. Uh, she's got an incredible uh, audiobook out right now. It's called May You Live in Interesting Times. Uh, and she is uh, joining us on our podcast. So let's see if she's uh, she's ready to jump in.
2: Hi, you guys.
0: How are you? Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine.
2: I'm good. So nice to meet all of you.
0: Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, thank you so much for being a, a guest on our podcast. I'm Chris. I'm uh a longtime stand-up comedian and uh, co-host of this uh, podcast with the legendary Mr. Daryl Hammond. Hi, Lorraine.
1: I'm sorry, I've sunglasses on, but I hope to do my um, my part of this outdoors today. But there's right now there's some weed whackers and uh, also some <laughs> chainsaws, so I'm, I'm indoors <laughs> temporarily. I'm not trying to look cool, but you know it's nice to see you. It's
2: you do nice look cool. You look You, like,
0: too. you look like <laughs> a blues brother.
1: <laughs> Whatevs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll take it, right, Lorraine?
2: Right, that's the attitude.
0: Yeah, well, well we are honored to have you on, Lorraine. I mean, uh, I, uh, I have, I've never met you in person, but I've obviously admired your career for years. Uh, original cast member SNL, um, you know that you and Daryl obviously have the SNL connection in common. Um, you know, I'm just curious, like, what were those early days of SNL like? I mean, how did that whole thing kind of get going, and what, what was it like for you when you when you first well, got on there?
2: <laughs> You, did you have a chance to listen to some of my book at all?
1: I haven't. I suck, all right? I've been moving. Okay. Why <laughs> you? Why um, you, gotta...
2: It's okay. Uh, well, let me see. Uh, when I first got there, the offices had not been set up. I want you to try and imagine the 17th floor with maybe one or two, three offices. That's it. Everything else was like just, uh, you know floor, with lots of phones and and phone lines just kind of snaking around on the floor. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Eugene and Leo's offices were next to Lorne's. They had an office. Lorne had an office. And Herb Sargent had an office. Mm -hmm. And then everything else just kind of built up from there. If you'd had like a time-lapse thing going on, it would have... Looked really uh, interesting, and especially since I can only imagine what the offices must look like now. Uh, how many it's of them a,
1: there are? It's a sprawling corporate hive on the seventeenth floor. Lots and lots of writers. Thing goes on for days, and, and then there's a wall. There's a wall of fame that has a picture of every cast member in the history of the show, and there's a bunch.
2: There, there are a bunch, yeah. But everybody's, uh, I think everybody's been really talented. Um, does is that second elevator still really slow?
1: <laughs> yes, it doesn't work, and it, people hate it. But sometimes <laughs> they take it. I, I can't remember what reason it was for that. You, you take such a slow elevator, but you do. I don't know, it's close to the writer's room, you finished writing. If it's close to your office, you just pop over and stand there a minute and take a breather.
2: Well, the main one was always the fastest one, and they locked it down at night, which was mm, a pisser. That, because that, then that's it, right. The only option was the slow one, and usually mm, right, you wanted yeah. to get home.
1: Yeah. So yeah, you do. Yeah, you do want to get out. I mean, you know, I think Dennis Miller once called it Gladiator Camp, and I'm not saying it's Gladiator Camp, but it's pretty goddamn hard. And it's competitive, and you're competing with people that you like, and, you know, it, it's a tough day's work, you know?
2: It is a gauntlet, especially for the writers. But mm. um, when we, f- before we went on the air, we shot a lot of our commercial parodies like Puppy Uppers and Doggy Downers and K Put, mm. where you put your own, like, price tag on the item at the market and show us show us your guns which oh my god so prescient Uh, which was a takeoff on this uh commercial for show us your lark which was a cigarette brand (laughs) remember cigarette ads everybody Um, and um i think what else did we do i think that one with uh chevy and michael O'Donoghue was live where it was a a send-up of the ad for Geritol where this guy mm-hmm. lists the things that his wife gets done during the day, you know, and does her sit-ups and still looks better than her friends. My mm-hmm. wife, I think I'll keep her. Mm-hmm. So Chevy is doing this same thing with Michael O'Donoghue, just kind of simpering next to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's in the show rundown, it says Jamitol gay. That was the, uh, thing and and she makes studded vests my wife i think i'll keep her they never really did anything other than just go right for it but it was great um and i know that Lorne also tried to to help us to gel as a cast by doing improv at his loft in midtown Um,
0: oh wow that's pretty cool
2: yeah we did it twice It just didn't Mm. quite, even though we all came from the same background, which was a sketch review, um, which I think perfectly prepared us to do SNL. And I think a lot of people who come from places like Second City and the Groundlings and UCB are perfectly trained to do a sketch, you know, run off stage in the dark, you know, change, come back up, you know, hit your mark and lights go up. That's exactly what any comedy sketch show is like. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. And
1: also, you know, I was mystified that Lauren picked me and Tracy Morgan. We were doing well as stand-ups, but I had no sketch experience. And when I got on the show, I could never write a sketch. I could write a monologue for Update, but I could write for myself and not for others. So I had no background. And uh, so I was, I was fascinated that I even got a shot.
2: Well, one of the great things about the show is that you are put in a position to find out that you can do things you've not done before and you didn't know you could do. Mm -hmm. I've had this conversation with uh, Julio Torres, who's a friend, and Fred Armisen and Cecily Strong. And everybody's, you know, especially I saw Cecily being constrained to just certain characters, like the girl you're sorry you got into a conversation with at a party, Mm -hmm. And then, as time went on, more and more characters came forward. And so, you know, it's wonderful that they gave her the time to do that. But she was also, you know, put in a situation where she had to come up with characters that she didn't do. Mm -hmm. And she did them so great.
0: Indeed yeah one yes. of the things
2: i one of the things I read about you was that
0: did you never really repeated characters back then?
2: I know because I was the captain of my own ship
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah for those of you who are not seeing this and only hearing it, I've shot myself
0: mm. um, yeah,
2: I just you know I was this twenty three year old who thought they knew all of it. And everything. And yeah, I wasn't going <laughs> to man. I wasn't going to be any fucking hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, can we swear on your podcast? Yeah,
0: yeah, swear away.
2: All right. Go um, to town. Go
0: to fucking town.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that was foolhardy on my part. Um, I just like the idea of being able to uh, do so many different characters.
1: <clears throat>
2: but it kind of made me invisible.
1: I think that I wanted very much to do characters – But I think, you know, I even had that conversation with Lauren. He was like, I want you to kick field goals. I want you on Friday night to be free when I come in and tell you I need to do Trump tomorrow for the first time. I want you to be looking at all different kinds of people and making just little notes and stuff for whoever was in the news at the time. So because I might call on you to do Geraldo Rivera.
2: So he just wanted you to be ready. He wanted me to do impressions, okay,
1: I mean, you know I, I played a waiter or two here or there, <laughs> but mainly he wanted me to be to be to be ready and be taking notes, and that's what he said. I don't but want know
2: you... what you do
1: I suppose it is, but I'm also I can do characters too, you know I, it's not just celebrity impressions. I mean, I actually in my stand up at seen scene, I do a lot of characters.
2: Oh my and god! I, like to, I would love uh, to
1: see that. Oh god! So many different people. Um, but I mean, SNL is is the all star game, and this is what I was best at.
2: Well, it's when a Lauren- well oiled machine, and so your your particular yeah. function, your widget, was a certain thing, and I, I guess that can be really uh, well, make you feel like it's limiting
1: but on the other hand, there was the honor of being like this go to person at the eleventh hour of that.
2: Exactly. It's a wonderful you know, place to be.
1: You know, I was I was somebody that um, you call on in the, the eighth inning of the All Star game and Lauren doesn't want you to exactly. fucking butt. He doesn't want you to butt. He, yeah,
2: he doesn't he want wants, you to walk.
1: Well he it says to-
2: it says a lot about you that he he finds you very dependable. That you are a go to guy. You know, he wants to be able to have people like that. So Yeah.
1: I I mean, he would come up to me before I would do a cold open, and he would just, like, look at me. And I would look at him, and then I would nod. And he'd go, and what he was saying was, I want this over the fence. And I'm saying, I'm hitting it over the fence.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. That is just a beautiful picture I'm seeing right there. No words exchanged, just...
1: yeah. It's sort of this look of, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: that's
0: great. And I'm like, yeah, right. Over I love wall. that. You knew, like, uh, Lauren, I mean, I, I feel like you knew him fairly well back in those days. I mean, those are the, obviously the early days of SNL, and I, I think you knew him beforehand. But, uh, like, he's always had this kind of mysterious aura around him from what I can tell. Like he's always been kind of like this guy who's just like a, a he's a, you know, a, a mystery figure who, you know, who doesn't say much, but gets a lot done. I mean, was he always like that or is he kind of, well, did he kind be- of develop into that?
2: He's become Oz the Great and Powerful. But, the Great and powerful. You know, I like, met him. Like,
0: like the real
1: Oz. The real one. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I met him when he was, uh, when I was 22 and he was 28 and he was living at the Chateau Marmont in a very small room with nothing but a hot plate and probably living on popcorn. Mm, And um, (laughs) he, you know, I mean, we were friends. Uh, He was very accessible, and he did his best once the show started to be as accessible as he could be. But Mm. as time went on, he realized that he was in a really administrative position and had to maintain you know, the discipline that that, that requires. Mm. Um, so, you know, he, he definitely changed. I mean, I can't say that I know Lauren anymore. I really don't. I have no relationship with him anymore. But um, we were definitely friends, absolutely. And he, you know, I still love, and I'm sure you've had the pleasure of this, he's such a great storyteller.
1: Oh, my gosh. Nothing can match it, you know. You'll be sitting in with him at Orso, and you tell your story, your best story that ends with, "And Lauren." Then we got to the the store, and they were all out of long handled spoons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you know, and he starts in with the time he was sitting on the Great Wall with Neil Young and Paul McCartney, and oh my god, okay. the best, unreal stories. Yeah. you know, I've texted Lauren six times over the years. He's texted me back every single time. And you That's know how amazing. many people, I mean, like, I, I know a lot of people that just over the years just wouldn't fucking text me back. And here he is, the king of kings, you know. Hey, He, he hit me right back. If I he if values I something, you a
2: lot. That's you know, fantastic.
1: I'm lucky to have been part of that whole scene over there. I'll tell you that.
2: Well, how do you, you know? like your, are you in a booth right now when you announce the show?
1: I mean, if I come in and do the show live, I, I rarely do, um, certainly not in COVID. I'm not going to do that. And, and I enjoy coming in and doing it live, and it's in Don Pardo's booth, you know?
2: Oh, my God. That's I mean, when I, was, I first met him.
1: Yeah. I was living down in New Orleans in Pardo Pass, and he's like, La- Lauren, and oh, my God. Someone's calling me right now. Can you believe the <laughs> audacity? So I just hit decline, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Go. You'd anyway, he's like,
2: decline.
1: <laughs> He says, um, I want someone that's Don Pardo, but not Don Pardo. And I'm like, okay. Uh- <laughs> so, so I said, well, how about I make up like an announcer voice and that, and some of the vowels will in every, in every montage will be Don Pardo. Like I'll say, you know, Da 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 you know, like uh Mm -hmm. um Cecily Strong, you know, do that and then and then and then I'll go featuring you know.
0: (laughs) Oh uh, god. I
1: I put uh I put Pardo in featuring and also musical guest. (laughs) You know. And so it's like no. No, he's like, No, (laughs) it's beautiful. It's like it's more of an homage than you know, because he he didn't want to replace um right. Don, and yeah. he didn't want to think that that any that he was replaceable. So like, bringing this kooky guy to fucking you know dress <laughs> up a couple of vowel sounds.
2: Yeah, you just did a little touch here and there. That's great yeah. thinking.
1: Well, thank you. I got it from the master. That's I mean, awesome I've man. seen I mean, that. I, I've seen that guy fix scripts. I've seen. You Know Tina Fey, Steve Martin. I've seen Leno call him on the phone about a joke. I've seen him, you've seen this too, Lorraine, where he walks out there and you change the font and the in the in the the, on the placard and suddenly it's funny and wasn't funny before. I mean,
2: you know, yeah, during notes, yeah, between dress and air, it's uh, it's pretty dazzling.
1: And I told this on another podcast when Tracy Morgan and I walked in his office for the first time. And I think it was something like Mick Jagger or Dick Cheney called or something like that. And he was very, yeah, he was so cordial and courtly and dapper and, and, but exuding immense power from that corner office. Sure. And then we were walking out of there and Tracy goes, um, shoot, ain't no eye rolling up in that motherfucker.
2: (laughs) Great (laughs) line.
1: I was like, yeah, I think we're going to do fine here. Tracy, me and you, I'll just say yes. I don't get what it is. You just tell me. I'll say yes. I'll try, you know?
2: Well, Lauren, um, when I first knew him, uh, it was the one thing that I didn't like about him was that he was starstruck. Mm. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, when me and my brother were 11, our family moved to Beverly Hills. So we lived, you know, down the street from Kirk Douglas, and, you know, across the street from Edgar Bergen, and, you know, you'd see Cary Grant and Fred Astaire and all these people when you go shopping. Or you went to school with their kids, so you saw them in their natural habitat. So I was never starstruck. So it irritated me a little bit about Lorne that he was. And of course, he's long overcome that, obviously, because he is the star. It's- Mm. You know, but I, I wonder if that wasn't his goal all along.
1: I don't think anyone could possibly imagine that you're going to become this, you know. No. I'm, I, I mean, I, I, I said to someone one time who was asking about him, that who was going to have an interaction with him, and I said, you know, treat him like a prince because he is. I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. This This, this is a guy. This is a guy. They can take a per, the most medium talent creature in the world, for instance, and and make them into something special. Tell them how it's like a great batting coach that uh, just adjust your stance a little bit, and now you're a three hundred hitter. I mean, mm-hmm. but boy, did he he is a big deal. I mean it. I mean it.
2: Um, one time Lorne asked Gilda and I to be part of a dedication. At the Brooklyn Academy. It was on a Sunday, you know, so it was after a show. And I had been sick to my stomach, so I took something called Composine. So Gilda and I are in our dressing room trying to figure out uh, what we're going to do on stage. And Gilda says, Okay, I'll say I'm Gilda Radner and this is Lorraine Newman. And I said, I think I, I can say my own name. And right then, I had an allergic reaction to the composine, something called tardic dy- dystonia mm. where my tongue got rigid in my mouth. And so I, talk, I you know, so I said, basically, uh, maybe you uh, say my name, you know, and she's <laughs> like, you're kidding me. Right. Um, so she goes into one of my favorite characters of hers, which was Colleen. And, um, how do I describe Colleen? I guess now they would be, she would have been called autistic. She didn't speak. Um, and she just kind of had uh, things that she would focus on. And uh, she, we started this improv where she was like, it, it was years in the future. And she was in a, a mental institution because of what, you know, because of this particular situation that we were in. And she just kept saying, Lauren, her tongue, it went hard. It went hard, and then she asked, "What happened to everybody?" And so I was doing—I was playing her nurse, saying, "It's—it's it's in the past. It's—it's it's all gone. It hasn't happened anymore." Uh, you know what happened to Michael O'Donoghue? He had an aneurysm. Um, what happened to uh, Lorne? He owns MBC. You know <laughs> uh, all this kind of stuff. That just, uh, I said that John was dead. I mean, uh, <laughs> God. Oh, my. Yeah.
0: I love Isn't stories that a like cute that cute story? That, Don't oh, you I love, love that
2: story? I do. I love <laughs> stories like that, personally. <clears throat> Gilda and I found ourselves in a lot of uh, <clears throat> kind of scrapes for one reason or another when we did the New Orleans show. That was really, I think, the height of our popularity where we literally got mobbed wherever we went. And um, logistically, it was a nightmare trying to uh, just, you know, go from one sketch to another in one part of town to another. Mm -hmm. And um, so the day before when we were camera blocking, Gilda and I were put into this building. We didn't know where we were. You know, and it was just a room with uh, two folding chairs and one of those trash cans that has a lid that you can press with your foot. Mm-hmm. And they Guess. forgot about us.
0: They, they forgot, forgot about you were us in there?
2: for four hours. <laughs> oh, okay? There was, you know, we didn't know where we were. We didn't want to go outside because we were scared. There was nothing <laughs> to drink. There was no bathroom. You know, it was just so, of course, we went into an improv again where she made the uh, trash can a puppet. <laughs> and uh I became senior princess, you know, and I was like, mm. I am so hungry. Oh, no, she was mm. senior princess, and I was saying, oh, God, I'm so hungry. I might have something for you to eat. Oh, no, there's something all over it. It's disgusting. Okay, well, uh God, I have to pee. Don't look at me. Uh, just (laughs) stuff like that, you know.
1: Can I I ask you a question? Was there a time in your life when you sat down with dialect tapes and said, I'm going to learn Irish, I'm going to learn Spanish, I'm going to learn Cockney? I mean, I tried all that. Did you ever do anything like that?
2: I did it without realizing that I was doing it because I really do love dialects. I'm fascinated by them, and I really work hard at them. Um, One of the DreamWorks series I did, I played a Scottish cow, Mm. so i I found this Scottish woman, and i I gave her all my lines and had her record them for mm-hmm. me because i I already did a, a mediocre Scottish dialect, but I knew that it wasn 't pristine so and and there's a guy named Carlos Alazraki who uh, is from Northern California, but he does oh, the most pristine oh.
1: nobody does Scottish- that better than you. What? That that Northern California thing you just did? Oh, that is you. so yeah. sweet.
2: Well, Carlos, Carlos was great on
0: Reno nine one one.
2: Yes, and yeah. you know, he but he does an amazing Scottish dialect. Oh. So no. I and because he made guest appearances on that series, I was always so self conscious to perform around him. Oh, okay. So, you know, um, in my book I, I did um, the one and only promo that we did for SNL was a takeoff on a Swedish movie. And it's me and Tom Schiller walking hand in hand through Central Park and all our dialogue is in Swedish. Now, you know, Amy Poehler's brother, Greg, speaks fluent Swedish. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't remember the pronunciation of a lot of this stuff. So I sent him the script and he he said, you know, a lot of this is like a mixture of Dutch and Swedish. So he corrected Mm -hmm. all of it. And then he... Recorded the lines for me, so that I could do them
0: that's so nice, that 's awesome,
2: yeah, it was so nice of him, but you know, I grew up in a neighborhood near UCLA, so there were so many dialects just in our block. there was uh, the heart socks from West Virginia, and their mama was always pregnant, and you know whenever the kids left their toys on the on the floor, she 'd have to bend over and scorch the baby.
1: That is so Loretta Lynn, that's so Loretta Lynn, (laughs) you know, that, that whole, because it is, it's a different dialect than say Carolinas, Atlanta. Yes. Oh yeah. Or or where my ancestors are from Georgia and Alabama. That's brilliant. And I want to ask you, sorry.
2: That's okay. my sister, my friend Julianne's mother pronounced the H in words like white and what so, there was a Scottish <laughs> couple in in Westwood Village that owned the Orange Julius stand. I mean, it was all around me. So, I just... I Absorbed. Sucked it all up.
1: And you're a your reporter. You're a oh. field reporter.
2: Yes. I was always fascinated with... My you.
1: personal favorite. Wonderful. Thank
2: you. Well, you know, Daryl, I don't need to tell you that there is a song in a dialect. Mm-hmm. Individual dialects have a song. Just how Don Pardo's manner of speech is a song. And um I was always fascinated not only by the head turns, but the the song of, of newscasters. We had this uh this right wing asshole named George Putnam, and uh he was really him and, and Jerry Dunphy, who was the prototype for uh Ted Knight's character. Mm-hmm. Um I just copied what I saw them do.
1: Yeah, but the the field to to capture the 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 quote unquote cliche of a thousand American uh, broadcast news reporters was I was so so taken by that because you were doing an amalgam of every reporter I'd ever seen.
2: Oh, thank and, you. And, and, well, and, that, was, that was another instance where they handed me something like that. And I'd never done that character before.
1: So, yeah. I mean, the know. reporter that sat in the field speaking in artificial tones, mm-hmm. bah, 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 bah. the state department says, yeah, it's shot. I can't do it like yeah. you. And I won't try. There was and a mass
2: shooting at century city today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah.
1: And a blog, uh
2: God,
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to think of some copy. No, I mm-hmm. I admired that one very much.
2: Thank you, very I admired
1: much. them all, but I, that one I was really taken by because I did a study of broadcast news, the newscast in college. I did a study of the newscasters who were the stars, and turns out they were people that didn't talk like everybody else, from mm-hmm. Cronkite to Harry Reasoner the Barbara Walters, you know, all down the line, Tom dumb, well, dumb Brokaw.
2: I have to tell you another uh, Gilda and I story. We went to uh, receive a Writers Guild Award. This was in Manhattan and Walter Cronkite was also getting an award. Mm-hmm. And I was like, m- you know, so excited to meet him. And I said, you know, I watched the 20th century when I was a kid and I just loved that show. And, um, I said, uh, because he was not on the air, he, I think he had been off the air and then went back on the air. But at the time, you know, I said that question that nobody wants, which is, what are you doing now? And he said, well, I just go around the country and do talks and play the guitar. And I said, really? And he said, no. <laughs> Walter Cronkite, he was so cool.
1: That's awesome. I, went, I walked to me and my friend when we were 16 years old. We walked up to him in a space launch. He was standing there eating like chicken and yellow rice and peas. And we walked up and we were just like, "We you have your autograph, man." You know? And he was like, "So nice." Aww. Oh, what are you boys up to this after that? What are up to do? And I was like, He sounds like Walter Cronkite.
2: Yeah. Jeez. He was
1: so kind to us.
2: That's so lovely. I love hearing that.
1: Nobody's, yeah. You, you have so many like
0: you have so many great stories about like those early days obviously in SNL. I mean, is there anything that's like that's your specific favorite story, not just about like Gilda, maybe something that happened with the um, the rest of your cast or something that uh, stands out that you'd like to tell?
2: Well, you know, I'm trying to uh, there are no favorite stories. I've yeah. had to I've over the years I've been asked what's your favorite sketch and for the longest time I did not have the answer and when I decided to <clears throat> some of the stuff I decided to write about SNL was my favorite sketches ensemble sketches mm-hmm. and in researching those I would remember certain anecdotes that led up to those sketches So it really worked out well for me because I I had a lot of trouble remembering a lot of stuff because, you know, when you're doing it, you're not watching it. Uh, And so um, I realized that my favorite sketch is one – it was the second time that Steve Martin hosted, and it was called Plato's Cave or the Beatnik sketch. Mm. And it's just, you got to watch it because it's so tasty and so deep, you know, with Belushi playing like a Lenny Bruce type character, uh, you know, trembling and sweating. And all the band is the only one laughing at his jokes. No one else is laughing. <laughs> it's just such great, you know, and Michael O'Donohue and Jane are on a date and we see them in the foreground and everything else in the background. And, you know, it goes intermittently back and forth to them. And, and you know, I think uh, Garrett goes on as a blind, you know, something Johnson, sings a blues song, and then it goes back to, you know, Michael and Jane, and she says, I think we have so much to learn from Negroes.
1: You know, mm. it's
2: just, it's so tasty. you you got to watch it.
0: Well, check it out.
2: Yeah, you guys.
0: I, I think I've asked this to Daryl before, but do, do you watch the current SNL? Yes, I mean, yes. You still I watch? love
2: it. Oh, I love it. I love sketch comedy. I love Mad TV and Key and Teal yeah. and SCTV. I mean, I love it. Well, you all were all that you're stuff. also.
0: You were a founding member of the Groundlings.
2: Yes. Which is really
0: cool. And I mean, just to see, I mean, you know, SNL aside, just to see what Groundlings have become since you founded it and started it, like, isn't that something cool to see? It's so exciting.
2: And it's exciting to see them develop at the Groundlings and then end up on SNL.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
2: the latest person is Heidi Gardner. I mean, I've been watching her at the Groundlings for a long time, and I am so happy that they chose her.
0: Oh, and Mikey great. Day,
2: and you know, it's just, uh, and you can always tell a Mikey Day sketch. You can oh, yeah. always tell one that's written by him.
0: Yeah, he was a he was a writer there before they bumped him up, and uh, I always I, I knew him of him a little bit, and I was like, oh, it's only a matter of time before he gets bumped up. He's so fun. Yeah, he's so talented.
2: Yeah, and Chloe Fineman, my my daughter Hannah knows Chloe uh, from the Groundlings, although Hannah doesn't. Do improv. She does uh, stand up.
0: Oh but yeah, you, you have a you have a lot of uh, <clears throat> you got a lot of talent in that family of yours. Uh, for a lot of people the kids that don't know, are no, talented. Yeah. Yeah. Your kids. I mean, I've met I've met your daughter before, Hannah. I've which I've, one? I've seen her, Oh, Hannah. Hannah? <laughs> yeah, because I do stand up. Um, so I've met okay. her doing stand up before. I used to live in LA for a long time, and I live in New York now. But um, I've I've crossed paths with her once or twice. Um, and uh, obviously, your your sister is. A huge yes. T V writer.
2: Yeah. She's very accomplished, yeah. Yeah.
0: She's uh, what well, she was the, the showrunner for According to Jim, right?
2: Yes. And, and um, um, as well as she a, wrote a bunch of. She wrote the coming out episode with three other people. I mean that's um, awesome. Uh and my oldest, my almost thirty year old is on Los Spookies. Oh, oh nice. we the, they uh, do stand up also, Spike. Uh they're also just so deeply funny.
0: That's that's amazing. That's so great to see. I mean, you must be so proud. Do you think that they're going to
2: eclipse you in uh, in your career because they're so, I hope so
0: God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've I've only seen, um, obviously I've only met Hannah, but she was so funny. I saw her on Colbert. Thank you.
2: Oh, Such a thank great
0: you. set. Yeah. So you should be very proud. Uh, well,
2: I mean, she's got a, an HBO Max series coming out in April with a oh, cool. Smart called Hacks. Nice. I'm looking forward to that.
0: That's cool. Is your is your sister still writing stuff for television, or is she retired? She's
2: doing. She went back to doing music, which oh, is music. what she started doing. She was in the New Christie Minstrels with her boyfriend Barry McGuire. I mean, my the reason I called my book "May You Live in Interesting Times" is that I had a front row seat, if not uh, a direct hand in, a lot of cultural movements that took place in the last fifty years. I was, you know, we had hootenannies in our backyard when folk music was really big. And people like Theodore Bikel and the Limelighters would come to those things. And it was pretty cool, even though even at seven, I fucking hated folk music. Mm. As I was raised <laughs> on KGFJ, which was a local soul station. But then Tracy got into rock and roll, but before that, she and her boyfriend were uh, asked to join the new Christy Minstrels, uh, Randy Sparks, but then they realized that they couldn't read music, so they kicked them out.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and then, you know, the beginning of what happened with comedy, the opening of the Comedy Store, which was the first place of its kind in the sense that it had just stand-up, it had no music, which the improv did. And Tracy knew a lot of the comics because when she lived in New York, she would MC at the bitter end. So I met Richard Pryor when I was 14 because he came here to play the troubadour. And you know how small the troubadour is, right?
0: Oh, it's tiny. I performed there once.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was exciting. So when he came and hosted the show, it was like I was one of the few people there that he had actually met before. Mm. It was very wonderful to me. That's cool. I think your is your name on the wall at the comedy store. It shouldn't be.
0: Oh, I, I never did stand
2: up. Oh, you never did stand up. Okay. No, no, God, no. Did it's you? Strong. Did you
1: get? Did you get to see Richard do some stand up?
2: Yes, I would. I was too young to get in, but I'd stand by the entrance uh, and watch people like Freddie Prinze, and there was these guys, the Step Brothers, which was Craig T. Nelson, Rudy Deluca, and Barry Levinson. Mm. and, um, uh, Ed Bagley Jr. coming on in a cop uniform <laughs> and, you know, Richard Pryor, I watched him try out, a uh, a bit that eventually became when your woman leaves you,
0: you know, mm. about,
2: uh, the matter you get, the calmer she gets. It's like, get out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. Don't worry. You shan't. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Part of that bit was he said, you know, when you see her a while later and she's with a new guy and you say something feeble to her like, uh, you know, you you left some hangers back at the place. Do you want to come and get them? <laughs> you know, I just thought that was such a great fit, but he didn't use it. Jay Leno oh. was there. I mean, Jay's hair was long and black and he would pull it to the front and put it in a ponytail and do Elvis and the ponytail would just, you know, like a metronome. That's all he did was just make his face like Elvis, and and the pompadour was great.
1: I had the um, I've had the privilege of seeing Leno do stand up live three times.
2: He's great. Once. He's a
1: yeah, yeah, ten laughs a minute. About about one applause break a minute. I mean, and it's uh-huh. so. The guy's a monster out there when he's doing Stand Up, man.
2: He's a machine. Yeah.
1: Unbelievable. And You know, I I love, one of the things I love most about prior films and concerts was every one of them contained 20 to 30 minutes of squeaky clean TV, a family material, all right? He got, you know, the reputation of being raunchy or whatever, because I guess he was the first guy to use the word motherfucker a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. But his writing was just stunning. And there's a great t- tape called um, R- Richard Pryor, uh, Live and Smoking, where you see him at the Improv in New York bombing, except right. for three lines. Three, because he has no script. He's just right. jamming. He's having the courage. And, and those three lines later showed up in Live on the Sunset Strip, and they were about two minutes piece of masterful, I mean, ten laughs a minute and one applause bring a minute. I mean... Wow. People don't have more oxygen than that, you know. You can't last <laughs> yeah, so, more than that.
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, now it's it's so dangerous to try out new material. You must know this, uh Chris, mm. you know, because mm. people have cell phones and their social media, so nobody can develop, you know, without being observed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot so,
0: of clubs are develop a lot of clubs are doing a thing now where they lock your phones away.
2: Oh, good. So they
0: they have like these cell phone bags, like the seller does it. Um, I think the improv does it, you know, so they lock your bags, you lock your phone in a bag. So you're not able to do that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, you know, guys like Chappelle, you know, all those guys won't do a show unless the phones are locked up. Um, There was a talk about actually Pete Davidson um, when he tours. Now he makes people sign an NDA in order to go to a show saying like, you won't discuss anything that I've done on stage. And obviously, wow. your phones will be locked up, and it's you know it's like a it's like a million dollar NDA thing in case somebody decides to leak his material. Which is How do I, people think it's
2: down the person that did it. I mean, yeah, I mean, well people it think it's practical?
0: People think it's ridiculous, but I think it's great. I think uh, good for I you. I do Pete. too. No, like to them. Let's we're trying to develop things here, and when things get on the you know the internet, especially at a level like Pete or you or, or Daryl, like if you guys were to put stuff out there, like and it wasn't ready yet. It can be misperceived, and also you're trying to get it to a point where you want to put it on a special or or something professional. Exactly, it, you know, it just yes. fucks up the whole thing, and it and people don't realize that. And sometimes they just take their phones out, and you know, they just don't think about it, and it, it that sucks. It really does because we're just yeah. really trying to
2: work on something.
1: I mean, I did a set the other night, um, and people were posting clips online while I was on stage.
2: Oh no. Mm-hmm.
0: Luckily I didn't suck.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I saw a lot of people
0: tagging you on that stuff, man. Like it's
2: unfair. What if you were working up your hour, your Netflix hour?
1: Right. I mean, it was, it was the, the third time I'd done stand up in a year and a half. And you're right. I mean, what if those that new material? I mean, you put it out there and it's half baked. Of course, it's half baked. It's new.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's brand new. It's just a thought in the beginning, you know. And yeah. even sometimes, like coming back for me specifically, last night I did my first indoor show in over a year here in New York, and uh, I had a bunch of new material, obviously, but I also kind of relied a little bit on like one or two older bits. And I was trying, and like you know, halfway through one of the bits, I was like, oh, I don't, I haven't done this in so long. I'm trying to remember how it goes and I'm like, if somebody's recording this right now, they'd be like, Well, oh, this ah. guy sucks. But it <sighs> you know, it, it ended up being fine. But like, you know, you just you worry about stuff like that getting recorded and put out because you're, you know, <laughs> it's not what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And so and says, from-
2: I saw him once, he sucked.
1: Yeah. yeah I saw him one time. it was a much <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a different world we're living with all this social media shit. It's just it's you know, it's it's quite odd now. With like,
2: all this goddamn social media. Shaking my mm. fist. Like
0: <laughs> you, I love your voices. You do such great voiceover stuff, and a lot of people don't realize like you've been working consistently since SNL. Like you know, and you made fun of the fact that people always ask, "What have you been doing?" Like you have had great voiceover work. You do so yeah, much great you, animated stuff.
2: Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. you are anonymous. I mean, I do have guys coming up saying, "Are you still Octon? <laughs> and um,
0: wait, wh- what voice is that?
2: I don't know. It's the, Cali
0: it's the California dude, the bro. Are you
2: still Octon? Um, <laughs> oh, and wow. I just say, go on IMDb because I'm tired, you know, and I can't, <laughs> I'm old. I can't remember shit. So just go on IMDb. But it's, I'm gonna I do love a- right. over so much. It's It's such a great community of people. I mean, you know, I've been so lucky in my life to have the continuity of the groundlings and SNL. And now animation because it's the usual suspects, especially in animation. I've worked with the same people in series over and over again, That's and awesome. they really are a family. And even you know, San Francisco Sketch Fest. I've done shows there with Will Forte, who's also a Groundling, and Rachel Dratch, and you know, I get to know subsequent cast members. So there's this wonderful continuity. In our camaraderie, that I feel so lucky to have. Yeah, I,
1: I, I, um, every time I run into one of these people, I mean, like you know, we did a podcast with Rachel Dratch, and just immense training and talent. I, I didn't get that, you know, uh, but I had this one little thing that, uh, you know, fortunately, I was able to sustain something with, you know.
2: Well, you're just a natural. On <laughs> a hard well,
1: well, well, okay, all right.
2: <laughs> oh, all, right. <laughs>
1: all right. I don't suck that much.
2: Yeah, I, but mean, I, do, yeah. I do. I do admire think, yeah. your
1: California stuff, man. Oh, wow.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I um, when they I heard them announce the 40th anniversary, I I called Lorne because I'd always wanted to do Sherry in the Californians sketch. And I said, I don't know if you're going to do the Californians, but please consider letting me do Sherry as like the matriarch because all these soap operas always have a matriarch. And I thought nothing would happen. And then Fred Armisen calls me and we spend days writing in my kitchen. Nothing of it is used, but I broke down the Valley accent for him Mm -hmm. technically. And then, um, you know, like I and G endings are een, and it's a glottal L, so probably is probably California and things like that. And then I said, and uh, contractions are wouldn't would be wouldn't, and shouldn't would be shouldn't, and couldn't would be cunt. <laughs> so uh, he wrote a sketch, uh, he wrote a monologue for me in the Californian sketch. Uh, where I said cunt three times, (laughs) and I was going to go for it, and then I chickened out on the air. I just, uh, you know, it's just that word is never, you know, charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. It's never been, you know, words like fuck have been bleeped out on SNL, and you know that's what people are saying, but I have never heard cunt on SNL, and I thought, you know, I don't want to. I don't know what the repercussions would be. And I thought it would be selfish to go through.
0: Mm. But goddamn, would it have been legendary?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I also says cunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm so proud. Well, I was the first person to say sucks and pissed off on television. And, uh, I know my children are so proud of that legacy.
1: (laughs) Um, Tell me about the matriarch. Can you remember that? I mean, that sounds super fascinating.
2: Well, no. um, From what I've learned about um, sitcoms, or or not sitcoms, Mm -hmm. about soap uh, soap, soap soap operas, is there's always a matriarch. Mm -hmm. So I thought in terms of Genesis and and the origin, that it would be really funny to have Sherry be like, you know, the mother of Custon, which she was. You know, and she was doing therapy. I mean, I, I think my entrance line is like, be quiet. I'm doing therapy online and I almost couldn't hear him because you guys were arguing. So, you know, that that was the matriarch.
1: Bravo, hmm. bravo,
0: bravo, bravo. Really I, great. I always love those. I always love those sketches, the Californian
2: sketches. Oh, God, I, I love them so much.
0: My idea was to, uh, I always wanted to see uh, the Californians meet the New Yorkers. And have kind of like a a mashup type of episode where, you know, they just argue which way to get certain ways. Like, no, you've got to take the L to the <laughs> six. Okay, then you take the six all the way up town. You take the I ninety five when you get the bus there. <laughs> and then, you know, like have people like, you know, like That was my that was my my little uh, brain child. Are I guess, those established
2: I characters on SNL, the New Yorkers? No, no, they weren't.
0: I I just thought maybe it would be a fun sketch to to, to me because they kept doing the the Californian sketch. I figured they might introduce that where they started mixing them together and it would just be funny listening to them trying to tell each other directions on how to get around. You know? Yeah. (laughs) I I
1: remember I I was walking away from a show one night and two two co-eds at Iowa State University approached me and asked me if I would do Clinton, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of it, I heard the girl on the phone and she said, why wouldn't I talk to him? He looks exactly like my dad. And you... Oh, my dad. He looks
2: exactly like my dad.
0: My dad. um, Come on, dad.
2: I go go to Coachella every year and I've been going since 2006. And uh, one time I was in the VIP lounge and they have you know, the uh, really nice porta potties as opposed to the really bad ones on the field. Mm -hmm. And there were two girls in line ahead of me, and one was sitting on the ground. This will give you an idea of how old it was, how long ago this was. The girl on the ground says, I have to poo. And her friend who's standing up goes, oh, my God, that is what I just texted you. Uh. You know, and she turns around her phone to show it to her, and she reads this. Go, oh my god, that is so weird. Anyway, those things are disgusting. I think I'll just fart. Um, oh, so. <laughs> so you know, I just love that kind of stuff. <laughs> love
0: it. I love those accents. I just, I'm just always obsessed with those kind of stuff, the dialects that you guys are talking about. I, I love hearing it. I mean, I love when people can do it perfectly, like you two, both of you.
1: Oh, I don't wanna um I don't wanna match talents with Lorraine Newman. She's pretty fucking good, Chris. Well <laughs> pretty girl. fucking goddamn good.
2: Peshaw is all I gotta say to you, is Peshaw.
0: Well,
1: <laughs> fair <laughs> enough.
0: Before we go, I know um a lot of people always ask you uh, you know, a lot about maybe Gilda and and past cast members. I actually really wanted to ask you about somebody uh, who's maybe lesser known, who did just recently pass away, um, one of the original writers of SNL, Ann Beats. Uh, how well did you know her? And what, what would maybe give us something that somebody wouldn't know about her and how influential she was with SNL?
2: Um, you know, this loss was a hard one. Yeah. Um, and I lost touch with Anne. Ann. Okay. But my first impression of her uh, was that she was this very, like, soft, feminine person. And she was always so sweet and so kind to me. And that's so antithetical to the image of what people had with of her later on. And I think that she did change. Okay. But I feel like I've known her essence. So it was just a hard one for all of us.
0: Yeah, I, and I also didn't mean to like you know bring down the the moment here. Yeah, it was Chris. one of those things yeah, that thanks, I wanted to. Chris. It's one
2: of those things we really want to
0: ask about you know because I know that uh, she was just such a big part of that show for. Yeah, oh. and her,
2: her voice was very. I mean, we had such great writers, and they all contributed to what I like to think of as the personality of the show. I mean, Tom Schiller, you know, Max Pross and Tom Gamel, uh, Zoe Bell, Jim Downey. You know, uh, Franken and Davis, M.O.D., you know, Michael. I mean, everybody, and if I'm leaving anybody out, I will just kill myself at three <laughs> in the morning. Uh, but they all had really unique styles and voices. And even though there had been sketch shows on before us, I would say that this was the first sketch show that was alternative comedy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Janet, i mean daryl daryl you you can probably speak on on you know the show more than I can, obviously, but uh it's just kind of a very cool club to have been in, I guess if you want to call it a club, but like you guys are were just lucky enough to be with such uh you know a cool part of a, some part of something so cool that uh you know I think a lot of people that know that you know who you are and who Daryl is, like they want to know certain things about people that were part of the show, like Ann and obviously Gilda and everyone else so I mean, um, it's always cool for us to hear these behind the scenes type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at least for me, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but, uh, I, I always enjoy hearing that kind of stuff.
2: Well, you should listen to my book because you'll get a lot of that stuff and Absolutely. then some. Yeah. It's an audio book. It's called may you live in interesting times.
0: That's on audible, correct? That's right. Yeah. I mean that, that, um, I listened to your interview with Mark Marin and I heard a lot about it on that and um i've i've heard a lot of people say good things about it
2: good yeah, yeah. <laughs> my friends think it's great chris
0: yeah my absolutely. friends
2: think it is so good so
0: great uh daryl do you want to uh do you want to say anything before we uh we we wrap up here
1: i just want to say that i love you lauren and dig you and admire you and you're awfully articulate um
2: thank you i feel the same uh, way about you man well, i loved uh, your book too just well, thank it. you oh thank god you. Yeah,
1: yeah well um, i've never you know i don't know if you'll recall years ago when we went to aspen as was my first yes, year on the show that, i
2: did meet you there i do you remember met, that you, you
1: met me in the street and you were so and I, of course i was just go- what do you call it gobstruck what is that called gobsmacked gobsmacked. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and like, I was like, because you're walking towards me and my, once my brain ascertained it was you. I was like, Motherfuck <laughs> And I just sort of sat there like this and he went, hi, how are you? And he, oh my god. You really, it was one, one, of, one of my first really golden moments.
2: Oh, you know, thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank
2: you so much.
1: That's my little That's my little spiel. just want to say thank you for, for being so kind to me when I was utterly terrified. So I appreciate it.
2: It's, thank you. you know, thank you.
0: You're yeah, welcome. I mean, do you have anything else that you want to plug coming up? I mean, like I said, you do a lot of animated <laughs> stuff and voiceover yeah, things. Yeah, you
2: know, um, I don't know if this uh, – Daryl's – your demographic is really the one for the animated stuff that I'm doing right now. Um, uh, I do a show called Apple and Onion – and, um, also, uh, one that's starting, I'm not sure when we're premiering on Netflix. It's called Ridley Jones and it's basically night at the museum. Oh, I cool. play an astronaut monkey. <laughs> okay.
0: That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, uh, so everybody should keep an eye out for that. And, uh, obviously her book, may you live in interesting times on audible right now, audio book. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks Lorraine. guys. I appreciate this you being is on. so
2: fun. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. We'll, uh, we'll have you back on soon.
2: I'd love it. Okay.
1: Bless you, Lorraine. Hope our paths cross again.
2: Me too. Bye, guys.
1: Absolutely.
2: Take
0: Goodbye. care. Well, that was that was uh, Lorraine Newman, everybody. What a fucking amazing guest. Really cool. Sweet down to earth. Uh, obviously, all of the above. And uh, just, a, you know, an interesting person that we had on our podcast. Like, Just the amount of story she had was just really cool.
1: I tell you, man, I'll never forget her being nice to me that day because she's like a god to me. And boy, and she's sane and she's sober. She's one of these like geniuses that doesn't really have bad habits, you know? Like, yeah. I I don't know if she ever got into drugs or not, but she she seems so, so together right now. Sort of a calm awareness about her.
0: She was um pretty open in other interviews in the past. I didn't want to dwell on it too much, but she's talked about you know drug use and having you know a bad cocaine problem and things like that and mm. obviously i'm not here to I'm not here to dig that shit up, but she's been open about it she's talked about it she has it mm. stuff about that in her audio book um but yeah she's she's really she's been sober since. I think she said she's right before she had her first kid and you know, that's like 30 some odd years ago. So like, you know, she's, she's, she's done well with herself. And a lot of people, like I said, you know, don't realize that she's been working consistently ever since SNL and uh, just a tremendous talent, just a really cool person to have on. And if there's any younger people listening that are, you know, that don't know her from the old days of SNL, go back and like Google or, or YouTube some of those old SNL sketches. Cause they are brilliant. Her and Gilda together, a lot of sketches were just so great. The sketch you brought up, or not sketch, but uh, the weekend update reporter was just, the news reporter was just so fucking great.
1: Yep. One after another.
0: But uh, yeah, and also she's on social media uh, now. She's on uh, Twitter at Lorraine Newman. Uh, and don't forget to add us. Uh, Daryl's at Daryl C. Hammond uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. I am at Chris Millhouse, two L's in Millhouse, And our uh, producer, Jim Search, is at Jim Search. And, uh, you know, that was the... Uh, That's our podcast, guys. So we'll be back very soon with another great episode. I hope you guys will tell your friends, share the posts on social media, and we'll talk to you then.
1: Bye, everyone. Bye for now.